Good morning again, brother. And good morning to all of you who are uh, joining us today, visiting. Um, some of you for the first time in over a year. God bless you. And thank you for being here. And we just praise God that you're here with us and that he's brought you through what has truly been a challenging past few months and uh, brought you back into the assembly of the Lord's people. What a blessing it is to gather together to worship God. Uh, and if ever there was a year to not take that for granted, it would be this one. Um, and I just thank God that we're able to be here and worship him together today. Um, so if you've been with us over the course of the year or uh, been following along with us each month, we've tried to take one uh, Sunday to focus on uh, one of the fruits of the spirit, one of the fruits that comes from the spirit. The premise behind all of these lessons has been that uh, that oftentimes uh, people are searching for signs that they have the Holy Spirit. Uh, oftentimes we're like searching, like, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? And a lot of people in this world think, well, the way to know if you have the Holy Spirit is if you can speak in tongues or if you have this gift or that gift or these, these spiritual gifts. And the premise behind this series of lessons uh, has been to try to help us note that in Scripture, there is much more emphasis given to the fruit that comes from the Spirit than the gifts of the Spirit. That's not to say that the gifts of spirit are not important. The Bible does emphasize uh, gifts of spirit. And we're going to talk about that some more in our in our class on First Corinthians over the next few weeks. Um, but what I want us to see is that the that the greater emphasis inscription, the way to know and to determine whether or not someone really is filled with the spirit, the Holy Spirit is through the fruit that they produce. And one clear passage that teaches this is in Matthew chapter seven. Verses 21 to 23. Do you remember what Jesus says there? Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom, right? Only those who do the will of the Father. And then he mentions there's going to be people that are going to come and they're going to have all these gifts from the Spirit. They're going to be, they're going to be casting out demons. They're going to be doing these great things of God. And Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And that should be a sobering passage for us to think about. Like it, that, that actually more important then any gift that I may have from God is the fruit that comes out of me, the fruit of the Spirit. So we've been looking at Galatians 5 and each of these fruits of the Spirit. But since this month, um, we've been reading through the book of Ephesians together as a congregation. I wanted you to notice that actually in many of Paul's other letters, he uses the same language talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we see that in the passage that our brother Michael just read for us um, in Ephesians chapter 5. Look again at this text. I just want to make a few comments before we get into uh, the, the fruit that we're going to look at today. Um, starting in verse eight, you were once darkness, but are now, now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. I just want to make a couple of comments on this before we uh, look at today's fruit of the spirit. Um, you were once darkness. Do you remember what that was like? You remember those days when you were in the deep, deep darkness? You remember how unfruitful your life was? Have you ever thought about that? Like, it's really hard to be fruitful in any kind of meaningful, meaningful way spiritually when you're in the darkness. 
Notice that he talks about here, uh, have nothing to do with the fruitless or the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Remember how unfruitful your life was? But now, because God sent his son, because he came, he lived, he died to buy my pardon. Because he lives, now you are light in the Lord. Praise God that we can come together and worship him as part of his light, as part of his children, part of his family. What a blessing that is. But I love that he doesn't end there. You are light in the Lord. You're not in darkness anymore. Walk then as children of light. Walk then as children of light. Very similar language here to what we see in Galatians chapter 5. Walk by the Spirit. Walk as children of light. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of light. Notice how he ends the pass, the reading that Michael gave to us. Uh, skipping down to, uh, to verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what we're doing when we come here together and we sing songs together? You know why we do that? We are stirring each other up to be filled with the Spirit. Did you see that's what he said? Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's how we, that's how we get refilled with the Spirit, is by coming together and listening to the will of the Lord and singing to one another and stirring each other up to think about what the Spirit has taught us and what the Spirit has revealed to us. That's why worship is so important. We come together to be filled with the Spirit. And you see this throughout the book of Acts. Oftentimes the disciples are filled with the Spirit and then they're refilled with the Spirit. They're being filled again and again because that's what happens when you're living in the Spirit. You are constantly turning back to God who then continues to fill you up with the Spirit. And sometimes we're tempted to turn away from that. Sometimes we're tempted to turn back to some of those deeds of darkness. Uh, it's interesting to me, he has to instruct the saints here, don't be drunk with wine. Um, I think the implication is that maybe some of them were thinking they could be. Um, actually, there are kind of some similarities between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, why would, why would they have said that about them on the day of Pentecost? These guys are drunk, right? Um, there are some similarities. But being filled with the Spirit is a deliberate choice to come together to learn what God's will is and to learn to walk according to his light. And that's what we're doing here today. We're coming together to stir each other up to love and good works, to stir each other up, to be filled with the Spirit again so that we can walk by the Spirit and produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, with that in mind, we've talked about a few of these already. We've talked about love. We've talked about joy talked about peace and patience and kindness. How are you doing with all these things? I spent a few months on this this year. Man, uh, some of these things are not always easy, right? Uh, some days it's easy to love. Other days it's hard. Some days it's easy to be kind. Other days, man, I can be very unkind. Um, catch me on a bad day. Um, some days it's easy to be patient. Some people 
it's easy to be patient with. Other people, man, it's challenging. When your son gets taken out for the third time in a service already, you know, uh, can be challenging sometimes. Parents, to be patient. Um, man, fruit of the Spirit is not an easy thing. But I want you to notice the first fruit that he mentions here in Ephesians 5, and it's the next one in our list in Galatians 5. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness. Goodness. And that's what we're going to talk about today um, is goodness. Now, this is not, for me, this is the hardest one of all to talk about. Because first of all, how do you define goodness? Um, all right, so I was struggling with this, like how do we define what is goodness? So I thought maybe, maybe I can check a dictionary here and maybe a dictionary definition will, uh, will help me out. If I, if I check, check the dictionary, maybe the dictionary will give me a definition. So I look it up in the dictionary. You know what the dictionary said? Goodness is the quality or state of being good. Wait, what? The quality or state of being good. Um, but that's kind of the way this word works, right? It's hard for us to define it. It's something you know, but you don't really know how to explain. Like, I don't know. We don't really have the words to explain what is goodness. Um, some people, when they think of goodness, they think of like something that's desirable. Sometimes we'll speak of something that we desire as good. This is good. Um, that, that, uh, that favorite food you have is, is something that's, that's good. Uh, you know, uh, Davida's oxtail over there is good, good stuff. Um, maybe, may, maybe you're thinking of, of a place you'd like to be right now. Um, it's getting hot here in New York. Maybe I'd, li I'd like to be on a the beach. There's something de desirable that is good to you. Um, another way to define this word would be to define it as like something that's beneficial. Sometimes, sometimes things that I desire are not necessarily good for me, right? Um, I may desire an extra bowl of ice cream, but that may not be actually what's most healthy uh, for me to eat. And after moving the past couple of weeks um, and eating bad, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting too close to the limit on how much bad food I can eat. Um, you know, something may be desirable, but not beneficial. Um, so sometimes we define goodness as what is beneficial. But uh, I think probably, and this is the second definition in the dictionary, but I think probably more specifically when we think about the fruit of the spirit being goodness, we need to think about this. What is morally good? What is morally right? What is virtuous? That's what we mean when we're talking about goodness here. Um, and have you ever thought about this? Who gets to define what is good? What if there is no God? Who gets to define what is truly good? I was talking to somebody this week um, who has mentioned that some of her friends who are atheists and agnostic, um, you know, uh, are talking to her about, you know, why they don't believe in God and can't believe in God in a world that's so full of injustice and so full of evil and so full of oppression. How could anyone believe in God in a situation like that is what they're saying. Um, what do you say to a person like that? But one thing I think that should be asked to a person who thinks that way is, well, who gets to define what is just and what is fair and what is right? Who gets to define what is good if there is no God? You see, if there is no God, there is no foundation for justice, no foundation for goodness. Who gets to decide? Well, your definition of goodness may be very different from mine. And this is the problem we're running into in our culture, in our society, isn't it? You define goodness in this way. I define it in this way. You think that is good. I think that's really bad. 
My neighbor thinks this is good. I think that's not really a good thing to do. Um, this neighbor over here, though, thinks something totally different is good. And, and what happens in a world like that where there is no standard of goodness? Confusion, disorder, division. Thankfully, God didn't create the world to be that way. God created the world with order, with unity, with oneness, with goodness in the world. And one of the reasons why I believe a person should believe in God is because if there is no God, there is no standard for what is right and what is wrong and what is good in this world. There's no way to know. It's re it really truly is just survival of the fittest. But God is a good God, and he has created this world in goodness. And therefore, when we think about producing the fruit of the Spirit, I don't get to define what goodness is. Neither do you. We need to let the Lord teach us what is good. And I want to tell you this. Some of us are, are, are new in Christ. We've come to Christ recently. And, and some of us have been in Christ a long time, but we still need to learn this. What I believe may be good may be very different from what God is saying that is good. That's why we come together to learn what the will of the Lord is, to learn how to be pleasing to the Lord. Because oftentimes I, my, my um, understanding of what is good can be more influenced by the world and by my culture than it is by God, the God who made the world in goodness and in righteousness and in truth. But notice that goodness is a really important part of what we are created to be as God's people. Just back up a couple of chapters in Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 2. And we looked at this text last, uh, last month. But I want us to focus uh, specifically on the end of verse 10. This is the text, remember, talks about how we were dead in our sins. And God, but God, raised us up, gave us new life through Jesus Christ. Not by our works, but through faith. In Christ, you've been raised up with Christ, verse 6, and seated with us, uh, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So that God in the coming ages might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10, though. And notice, what is God doing when he does all this? Why is God working in us to raise us up from the dead, to give us new life, to seat us with him in the heavenly places? Look at this verse, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see that? Why did God create us? Why did God recreate us in Christ Jesus? God created us to do good, to do good works. God created us to live the kind of life that people can see the way we live. And they say, wow, that's one of God's children. That person reflects the goodness of God. Notice the word, we are his workmanship or we are his handiwork. That is, we are God. Think of it this way. We are, think of God as an artist, and we are the masterpiece of his art. When you see the Mona Lisa, you think about the great artist who made the Mona Lisa, right? And that art is a reflection of the beauty of the artist. In the same way, God has put us on display in this world, and he's put us on display so that we, as his people, 
might show his goodness to the world around us. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. All right, so how do we do it? Where do we learn uh, to be full of goodness? Um, and, uh, and how do we learn to live lives like this? Um, I want to show you a couple of people in the uh, New Testament, in the church, who were described as people who were full of goodness. Um, and see if we can learn something from them. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about where do we learn how to be good, and then we'll talk about how do we grow in this uh, as a people. So first, where do we learn to be good? Uh, start with me in the book of Acts, if you would. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. The first person in the book of Acts that's described as being good is a woman named Dorcas. You remember Dorcas? You guys remember? She also goes by another name. Sometimes people call her Tabitha. Um, you guys know about Dorcas and Tabitha? Look with me at Acts chapter 9 and in verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Uh, Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men and urged him, please come at once. And Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. It's not often that the Bible tells us uh, the story of someone's funeral, uh, the story of what happens after death. You might think, well, no, I mean, at funerals, everybody's good at a funeral, right? You know, it doesn't matter how bad that person was. When you go to their funeral, they're going to talk about how good they are. Um, but the Bible's not that way. The Bible, when people dies, will talk about how evil they were. Um, you know, this person did evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, and he led the people astray. Uh, read the story of Kings, for example. The Bible doesn't lie about people. Um, this is interesting to me. How was Dorcas known by the people of God when she died? She always went about doing good. She was, you might say it another way, she was full of goodness. Do you know people like that? Do you know sisters like that who are always going around doing good and helping the poor? I love this. When when Dorcas, uh, when they bring Peter there, as Peter goes up, what does Peter see as he goes upstairs? He sees widows standing around him crying, and they've got all the clothes, all the good gifts that Dorcas has given them, that Tabitha has made for them. They're showing to him, all the all of these good things that are a demonstration of her goodness that she was truly full of goodness have you thought about this when 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 my time is done on this earth and when i go to stand before the lord what will be left what will be left of me what will people think of me what will people remember about me? Don't you want to be like this, a Dorcas? Don't you want to be remembered as somebody? You know, that, that sister, that brother, man, they lived their whole life and they were always doing good and they were helping the poor. 
a beautiful, beautiful picture. I want you to think about this. Do you know people who need clothes? Do you know people, um, brothers or sisters who are in need? Do you know widows who need not just clothing, but encouragement? Do you know people who need to be strengthened? Do you know people who are lonely? Do you know people who are hurting, who need comfort? Be a Dorcas, be a Tabitha. Find ways to go about doing good and helping those who are in need. Uh, another person we learn about goodness from, the second person in the book of Acts uh, who's described as good, uh, in Acts chapter 11, a new church has just been planted in Antioch. It's growing rapidly. Um, the number, uh, there's a great number of people who are believing and turning to the Lord in verse 21. And so news of this reaches the church in Jerusalem. So what do they do? They send Barnabas. They send Barnabas, verse 22, to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now look at this, verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and the faith. You want to know what produces goodness in somebody? Somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit and the faith. But what are some demonstrations of the goodness? We know a little bit more about Barnabas. Um, certainly this in and of itself is a demonstration of his goodness, that he would be willing to leave his home in Jerusalem and to leave his church behind to go up to a new church that's just been planted and he knows needs encouragement. And he says, hey, I'll give up my life. I'll give up what I'm doing here. I'll give up. I mean, I don't know what he had, a job, a home, family in Jerusalem. He says, hey, I'll give up all that to go and help this church while they're in need. Would you do that? Would you be willing to do that? To go and serve a new group of saints that are in need of encouragement and needed to be taught how to remain true to the Lord? Barnabas was full of goodness. Um, but this isn't the only place where we learn about him. Back up a little bit to Acts chapter 4. And I want you to notice the first time uh, we learn about Barnabas. Acts chapter 4. And look with me at uh, starting in verse 32. Um, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything that they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in, in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had it. And check this out, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You want to know what goodness looks like? Imagine, imagine a church where any time a need came up, somebody said, oh, I got property. I'll sell that to make sure this needs taken care of. And they bring the money and the need is immediately resolved. 
And then another need arises and another brother says, no, uh, I got some possessions. I'm going to go sell these things so that we can take care of that brother in need. Another sister comes up in need later on and two other sisters say, hey, you know what? I got I got I got um, I'm making more than I need. I'm going to give extra to make sure this person is provided for. That's the kind of church that was going on in Jerusalem. And one of the men who was leading the way was Barnabas. Now, that wasn't actually his name, right? His name is Joseph. He's a Cyprian. He's from the island of Cyprus, but he's called Barnabas. Why? Because he was known to be an encourager. He was known to be a man who was full of goodness. Well, how did he demonstrate? You know, goodness is not something I can just say. You know, I'm a good person. We'd all like to say that, right? But goodness is something that is demonstrated through life. Well, how did he demonstrate it? Well, the text tells us he was one of these guys. Brethren were in need. He sold his field that he owned. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He said, here's the money. Use it to take care of my brothers and sisters in need. Let me ask you, does that challenge you a little bit? That standard of goodness? Would you be willing to do that? Those of you who own property? Those of us who own, maybe we don't own property. Maybe we own possessions. Would we be willing to take those possessions and sell them? to make sure that a brother or sister is taken care of? How much will we be willing to give up? How many possessions? How much land to take care of those in need? Barnabas, a man full of goodness. This isn't the only time we see uh, the goodness of Barnabas. Uh, a little bit later in Acts chapter nine, you might recall, there was one of the worst men uh, that had ever lived. Uh, one of the earliest men to lead the charge in, in wiping out the church of God, Saul of Tarsus, has been converted. Now, if you're a Christian and you hear Saul of Tarsus has been converted, your first thought is probably, eh, maybe he's faking. Maybe not for real. Like, this guy, after all, is the guy who's actually came, didn't just, didn't just stay in Jerusalem and persecute. He said, hey, I'm going to other cities, too. And I'm going to take out the Christians everywhere I go. And then you find out, hey, this guy, uh, this guy who uh, used to persecute Christians now, he's preaching Jesus. Um, this is where I don't know how I don't know if I'd be a Barnabas. Um, I really don't. I hope I would. But I think I'd have a hard time with this. one. Like, give me a little bit more evidence that you're actually, um, you know, real. Look at what Barnabas does in Acts chapter nine and verse thirty six. Sorry, not Acts chapter 9 and verse 36. I'm looking at Acts chapter 9 and verse 27. Back, back up just a little bit. Acts chapter 9 and verse 27. Paul comes to Jerusalem. Saul comes to Jerusalem in verse 26. And he tries to join the disciples. But they're all afraid of him, not believing that he really was the disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to them and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. I want you to think about what Barnabas is doing here. Remember, this is the son of encouragement. Nicknamed that by the apostles, the leaders of the church. And now what is he doing? Do you realize what he's doing? Putting his name on the line for a man who has a history of being evil and wicked. You see the risk involved here in what Barnabas is doing? To go to the apostles and lobby for this man and say, hey, actually, this is a true disciple and we need to love him. Many of us would have been saying, nope, he's not coming to my church. He's not joining us. Maybe send him somewhere else. But 
No, we need some more time. Barnabas, a man full of goodness, said, no, I'm going to put my I'm going to put my name on the line because this is a true disciple. You know, that being full of goodness involves taking risks. There are going to be times where you're going to have to risk uh, doing things that are going to be that may be displeasing to other people. You may make choices out of a desire to be good that other people may find to be very foolish or unwise decisions. And yet in the eyes of God, they are good. Remember what we talked about earlier, that who defines what is good? It's not you and I. It is God. And I want to tell you that if we're going to be people of goodness that produce the fruit of goodness in our life, sometimes we're going to do things that look very strange to our brothers and sisters and certainly very strange to all of our neighbors and the people around us. We need to be prepared for that. If we're going to be people who are full of goodness. Where did Tabitha and Dorcas, uh, Dorcas, where did Dorcas and Barnabas learn to become people like this? I think we know the answer to that, right? Um, remember how Jesus summarized, or sorry, remember how Paul summarized Jesus' ministry in Acts chapter 10 and verse 31, 38? I love the summary. Listen to what he says. Paul speaking here, or Peter speaking here to Cornelius. And this is what he says. This is how he summarizes Jesus' ministry. He says, uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. How did people know that God was with Jesus? Well, he went around doing good. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Wouldn't you like for people to characterize your life that way? That sister is just, that's the way she lives. She's always doing good. His whole life, he went around and he, he went about doing good. What a beautiful, beautiful description. And I want to tell you, where do we learn to produce the fruit of the light, which is goodness and righteousness and truth? Well, this is where uh, Ephesians 5, what did he say right after that? All, uh, learning, trying to be pleasing to the Lord. Later on, he talks about learning how to understand what the will of the Lord is. That, do you see the point that, this is, that, that, that the scripture is making here? The way that we learn to be people full of goodness is we look at Jesus. We study Jesus and we look at the way he lived his life. And by the way, do you remember that oftentimes in Jesus' life, the things that he did that we see as truly good, the people around him saw them as evil, wicked, blaspheming God, right? If we want to be people who are good, we got to take our eyes off of everybody else and fix our eyes on Jesus and let him show us the way. Let him show us how to become people who are truly good. Many in the world will say, actually, that's not good at all. That's evil. You're actually not helping people. You're hurting people. Sometimes even people who call in the name of the Lord will say things like that. But if we'll keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and let Jesus be the one who teaches us how to be good, then we'll learn how to be people filled with the spirit, producing the fruit of the light and the fruit of the spirit, which is goodness. Uh, I love this, too. It's not just Jesus who's an example of that. In Acts chapter 14 and in verse 17, Paul's speaking here to Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas are speaking to Gentiles. And listen to what they say. 
uh, they're talking about God in verse 16. In the past, God let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has done good by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Uh, some translations there say he has shown kindness, but that's actually the word for good. It's the word for good. God has demonstrated his goodness. What I'm trying to help us see here is that if I want to learn to be full of goodness, I know where to turn. I've got to dig myself deep into the word of God and learn to see Jesus more clearly and learn to see God more clearly. And as I look on him and as I look at his goodness, I'll learn how to be good like him. Which leads us to, to, uh, to this. How do we grow in goodness? How do we grow in producing this fruit? Because some of us will say, well, you know, there are, some, there are some days when I go about doing good. And then there are other days when I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing anything fruitful at all. I don't know if, there, I, don't know if I accomplished anything today. I don't know if I did anything good. I don't know if you felt that. I certainly have. How do we become, how do we grow in producing goodness? Think about, think of this. This is a fruit of the spirit. Fruit grows, but slowly takes time, right? So how do we grow this fruit? Um, well, the first answer to that is we don't. God does, right? We depend on the Lord. But there's also this tension in scripture that we work with the Lord in producing this, right? God is working, but you also work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? So God is producing fruit in us, but we also work with him in cultivating that fruit in our own heart. So how do we do that? Let me just start here with this. Um, the, the, the Bible, the New Testament speaks often about having a good conscience, a good conscience. And a good conscience starts with a good cleansing. A good conscience starts with a good cleansing. Uh, let me just share Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 here. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. And while you're turning there and while I'm turning there, I'll just say this. Every human needs a good cleansing. Because if we're being deep down, if we're being honest, transparent, deep down in our hearts, every one of us knows that at some point in our life, we were in deep darkness. At some point in our life, we were not the people that you could say are always going about doing good. At some point, all of us know that there were evil things that we've done, that our conscience, by our disobedience to God, got seared and led us astray. And we did things that were deliberately disobedient to God. Therefore, we need a good cleansing. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 9, and in verse 14. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. I just want to say, becoming a person full of goodness begins here, coming in contact with the blood of Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I can't fix that. It's not like uh, it's not like in other religions, like in Islam, for example, where if you just do enough good, it outweighs the bad, you're good with God. 
That's not the way it works. No, what can wash away my sins? What can cleanse me from all the evil that I've done? What can renew my conscience and make me new again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 3, when Peter is emphasizing over and over and over again that we need to be people who do good, that's really the, the, main, the main emphasis of the letter. Uh, let me just read a little bit of this, starting in verse 10. Uh, 1 Peter 3 and verse 10. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Psalm 34, he's quoting there. Look at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer, for what is right, you are blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping, notice this verse 16, a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the spirit, to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Notice this, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at, the, at God's right hand. Do you, know what, do you know why we teach that a person needs to turn away from their sins and be baptized into Christ? This is why. When we are baptized into Christ, the Bible teaches we come into contact with the blood of Christ, which cleanses us, our conscience, and makes us new. So that we can appeal to God for a new and a clean conscience, a good conscience. And I just want to say to you, maybe there's somebody here today who hasn't been baptized into Christ. I want to encourage you, if you want to be a person that produces the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to be a person that's full of goodness, it begins with you making a decision to repent, to turn away from your sins, and to be baptized into Christ. Only God can cleanse your conscience. Only God can give you a good conscience. And that's what baptism is. Some people say, well, baptism is you working, you know. It's almost like you're trying to save yourself. Well, no, actually, baptism is God working. All you're doing is getting dunked in water. You're, go you're dying, burying that old self and being raised up to walk in you. Goodness begins with a cleansed conscience. I want to add to this, though, that even after our conscience is cleansed by the blood of Jesus, because we are in a world where there is still darkness, there's a fight going on, and we must continue to train our conscience with the word and the will of God. Even after a person has been baptized into Christ, a person can still go back and sear their conscience. Tim Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy 
And that's why he talks about how everything we're teaching you is meant to produce love from a good conscience. That is, the instruction that God was giving it was all meant to, to train Timothy and to train every disciple to have a good conscience so that they can live lives that are full of goodness. Read 1 Timothy. Read 2 Timothy. And you know what you're going to notice over and over again? Paul telling Timothy, hey, you need to do this and you need to learn this and you need to apply this so that you can do every good work. And then he'll say in 2 Timothy, you know, all scripture is inspired by God. And what is it for? Well, it's going to produce in you. It's going to equip you to be able to do what? To do every good work. It's going to make you a person who does good. And so if I want to become a person who's full of goodness, then I better be diligent about being in the word of God. I better be diligent about letting the word of God be what trains me. I better be diligent about listening to the spirit. If this is the fruit of the spirit, then what makes me think I'm going to get the fruit of the spirit if I'm not listening to the spirit? The spirit is the one who guides us to produce his fruit. Let me ask you, how attentive have you been to the word of God? Sometimes life gets hard. gets busy. We get distracted. Bible study can become a thing that's forgotten about, put off till tomorrow or next week or next month or when the job changes or when life gets easier, when things go back to normal. It's easy to put that off. We need to hear the words of Paul. Make the most of your time. Make the most of your time, knowing the days are evil. Uh, Two other things quickly here. Um, We need to learn to hate evil and to cling to what is good. One of the reasons why we struggle so much with being full of goodness is because we're clinging to things that are not good at all. Now, we wouldn't say it that way. I would never say it that way. I'm clinging to something that's evil. I would never say it that way. But that's actually what we do, isn't it? We fill our minds with things that are profane and evil. Um, We listen to stuff that we know is not good or helpful. It's, It's evil. We watch things that we know we would never be okay with somebody doing in front of us in person, but we'll watch it on TV or watch it in a movie. We fill ourselves with evil. You know what the gospel says? The gospel says learn to hate evil and cling to what is good. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. When Paul talks about what does it mean to offer your body to the Lord as a living and holy sacrifice, Here's one of the things that he says. This is what it means. Romans chapter 12 and in verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Later on in Romans chapter 16, at the end of the letter, listen to what he says to them in verse 19. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. You know, some of us are more wise about things that are evil than we are the things that are actually good. Some of us could tell, could tell, could tell all kinds of facts uh, and, and knowledge about things that are actually not fruitful at all. But when it comes to the things that are fruitful, the fruit of the Spirit, we have a hard time explaining to people. We have a hard time explaining to people what, what is actually good or what God actually wants or how to obey Him or how to live for Him. That's a problem. 
I need to learn to hate the things that God hates. I need to learn to love the things and cling to the things that God loves. And again, a big part of this is retraining my mind to, 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 to uh, submit to what God says is good rather than what I may think is good. There are some things that I may be clinging to that I think are good, that God says that is not good, that is evil. And if so, I need to let go of those things. And not be shaped by the world, but be shaped by God. Well, what's going to move us to do just that? What's going to move us to do just that? Let me just share with you a couple more texts. Um, I want to share with you from Titus 2. Titus 2 and verse 11 beginning. For the grace of God has appeared and it offers salvation to all people. It teaches us or it trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Skip down to verse three. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. What will train me? to be ready to do good? What is going to train me to be eager to do the things that are good? Where do I get my training? The grace of God. I love this. Everything God asks us to do as his people, he did for us first. If I want to learn to be good, I just have to look at him. In fact, God goes beyond being good. God's goodness is something unlike what anything anything else we've ever seen in the world. Remember Paul saying this in Romans 5 and in verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good man, a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. It's rare to find somebody die for a righteous person. It, a good person, maybe, rarely, perhaps, maybe, somebody would die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were anything but good. We were sinners. Christ died for us. When we look at God, we can see that there actually is hope in this world. If you look at the world, there's not a lot of inspiration for goodness in the world. I'm not saying there isn't any. You know, there are, there are good things that happen in this world. There, there are good stories going around. But mostly when we look around the world, it's discouraging. There's no inspiration to live a life that is good and righteous. But if we look at God, we find all the inspiration we need. After all, he took me, that evil, sinful enemy of his. And while I was that person and had made no decision to follow him or to walk in his way or to live a good life or to be filled with his spirit, he said, I love that person so much. I love you so much. I'm going to the cross. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also freely give us all things? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If we'll put our hope in him, 
and we'll look to him. The Lord will teach us and he'll train us in goodness. He'll teach us to produce the spirit. Let us pray. Holy Father, we thank you for our time in your word today. And we thank you for the fruit that your spirit produces in us. We're sorry for the times in which we have walked in darkness, even after you have rescued us out of it. And we pray, God, that you will forgive us, that you will cleanse us, cleanse our consciences, and turn us back to you with a good and a sincere conscience, that we may be people who produce love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness through your spirit. We pray, oh God, that you will fill us again with your spirit today and help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus we pray.